0: We're in Philippians chapter number 3 this morning, Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to have to preach two messages this morning. We were actually supposed to be in Philippians 2 as far as following the text and everything through, but um, for sake of uh, getting through Philippians in a reasonable amount of time and and uh, and and getting into the new year and Christmas and all that kind of stuff, we're going to jump ahead to Philippians chapter three. I'll point out some things in chapter two in just a second. But uh, uh, I've really enjoyed going through Philippians and studying. It's a book I've read multiple times uh, through because it's a really simple book to read, uh, a relatively short book of the Bible, and and uh, and whatnot. From there, I feel like I adjust this every week. Um, and uh, anyways, I'm sorry. And, uh, but in, in chapter 2, I, a couple of quick things I want to point out, then we'll get into the message this morning. Uh, in verse 17 through the end of the chapter, he's talking about uh, basically two different guys uh, that he's going send, send to send to the church. Um, Timothy in verse 19, I trust in the Lord to send Tim- Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. for all seek their own, and not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, Timothy, that as a son of, with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. He, Paul is saying to the church here in Philippi, there's so many people that are seeking their own. They're, they're, they're out there for themselves. But Timothy, he's a guy that you can trust. He's a guy that is trained, learned, and he's proven in his own life that he's one who actually loves you naturally um, the way that you're supposed to work. He doesn't have to force himself to love you. Uh, He actually does love you. And so I'm going to send you Timothy. And that's a great, uh, just a great truth to understand that we should be more like Timothy. And then he talks about Epaphrodites who actually came to Paul, bringing the message from the church of Philippi, got sick, the Lord healed, and he sent him back and he talks about Epaphrodites' faithfulness as well. Two men being faithful to do as God would have them to do, and, and just good examples for us as well. But today we're going to be looking at uh, Philippians chapter 3. I've had a horrible time titling this message, so good luck with that. You can come up with your own title if you'd like. Uh, but we're going to look through three thoughts this morning uh, about Christ here in Philippians chapter 3. Let's read in verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to to write the same things to you, I to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe, meaning I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It's not a waste of time. This is important is what he's saying. Verse 2, beware of dogs. Our cat lovers enjoy this verse. Uh, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ." And that's the ultimate point of our message today is Christ. We're going to look at Christ, the object of our faith, the object of our desire, and the object of our expectation this morning. Lord, help us, I do pray, as we look in this chapter. And Lord, I'm so thankful for this letter that was written to the church of Philippi. And Lord, how you use it in our lives today, Uh how it's perfectly applicable to us. So God, I pray that you'd help us to re-energize our focus on you, and Lord, that will draw closer to you and, and honor you. Lord, I pray as I present these verses that I do it clearly and that I would do it correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we see here in this chapter really three things about Christ. And point number one is Christ, the object of our faith. And we see two warnings to start out this chapter. He starts there in verses one through three, really warning them about false teachers. When he says, beware of dogs, he's not talking about the kind that chase you, but uh, he's talking about teachers. And there are many times throughout scriptures he refers to them as dogs, false teachers, uh, those who did not uh, teach the Bible correctly. And so he says, beware of dogs, evil workers, uh, beware of concision, all fitting into the same categories there. He says, we are the circumcision, meaning Jews, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, We have no confidence in the flesh. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about my works. It's about what God works through me, how God works through me. And so when he says beware of the dogs and the false teachers and of the concision, what he's saying, or the evil workers, excuse me, what he's saying is those that are teaching that it's part of the flesh, that it's about your works, that it's about your actions, that it's about your religious activity, he says beware of those people. They're liars. Uh, They're dogs. Dogs is one of the lowest uh, 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 forms of insults that you could give to a Jew. Back then, especially, dogs were dirty, they were mangy, they were walking around the streets, they'd eat anything, uh, they were lowest on the totem pole, so to say. And so when he says, beware of dogs, he's telling you how low false teachers of the Bible are. Evil workers, he tells you exactly what they are, they work evil. And so he's saying, beware of these false teachers. That's the first war- warning, those that teach a works-based religion. And then in verses 4 through 6, he gives another warning. Beware of yourself. Beware of yourself. He's saying here, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, in the things that I've done, and the, the, the way that I've worked. He says, if any other man thinketh that he hath where, whereof, that I he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He said, if you think you're good, look at me. Now, again, he's using this as a teaching tool. But he says, look at me. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I'm like the it, the it guy when it comes to how I was, where I was born and the, the religion that has been put on me as a, as a child all the way through. He says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, I did everything religiously that a Jew does. I'm it. I was the one that went out and persecuted when they weren't following the laws of religion. I was the one uh, that I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, I'm, I'm learned. I'm educated. I'm a teacher. I, I've done all these things. If, if there's anyone who can take pride in his flesh, I could more than anyone else. But then he says there in verse number 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. See, it's not about what I've done. I can't take pride in my flesh. I can't look at what I've done uh, religiously before he was saved, before he followed Christ. He followed the law. Now he follows Christ and he's saying, I can't take all those religious actions that I did and count them for anything, because as a matter of fact, they were a, a huge waste of my time. Those things that I once counted for gain, those laws, those uh, religious practices, those, that zealousness, I now count it loss for Christ. The warnings are against false teachers, but it's also about watch out for yourself. When you start taking pride in what you do, you have now wasted time. Uh, I'm thankful for the humility and the spirit of our church. I'm thankful for the willingness to uh, selflessly give and sacrifice and work and all those sorts of things. But we have to be careful because there comes a time in a Christian's life, oftentimes, where as they work, although it's supposed to be for God, it becomes about them. Look what I did. I feel good because I did this, because I helped here, because I gave this, or whatever it may be. And again, I've been in churches where people were very proud of how much money they gave. I had one person I talked with and, and I said, you need to leave the church. It wasn't our church. You need to leave the church. He said, I can't. I said, why not? He said, "Because I've given so much money here. Okay. Well, the Bible says beware of dogs and evil workers, false teachers. If they're teaching falsely, you've got to get out. Uh, I can't. You don't understand. I've given so much money. He feel like he invested so much into it that he couldn't leave. That same person, when I was their pastor, was very proud of how much they gave. You can't tell me what to do. Don't you know how much money I give to this church? I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Um, you know, how did you get the money? The Bible says every good gift comes from the Lord. You see, we get so proud of what we do. We feel like we are earning our way, buying our way, working our way into God's favor, and it's not how it works. As a matter of fact, God favors you already. He just wants you to obey. And as you obey, God will continue to favor. God will continue to bless. God will continue to provide. So Paul warns here, and it's given inspiration of God to us, beware of false teachers. Beware of yourself. And in verse number uh, seven, what was once gained, what was I was once confident in now is nothing to me. Those things which were gained to me, uh, those I count loss for Christ, yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. My confidence has changed. The things that I count important has changed. He says, I've lost everything because I followed Christ. And all those things that I lost, I count them as a pile of poo. That's what it says in the original Greek. Uh, Dung. How much do you value a pile of poo? Hopefully, not at all. (laughs) There are some weirdos in this world. He's saying everything that I've given up, sacrificed, lost, it means nothing to me. Have you ever lost something and it's meant everything to you? The Bible uses an illustration, Christ does, as a parable teaching the the woman who lost uh, uh, a precious jewel. A pearl, was it? I'm getting my stories mixed up. But she lost it, just one tiny thing, and she went out and she swept and she cleaned and she sought to find it. When she found it, there was so much joy. The shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and 99 of them were there, but one was gone. And that one sheep... He desperately desired, and he went and he found that one sheep. There are things in this life that we lose, and boy, it just means the world to us. Loved ones, man, we lose a loved one, and it just it hurts, and it means the world to us. Maybe it's a uh, sentimental item that was been handed down in the family, or something like that. Maybe it's a uh, um, a picture. You know, people have house fires or floods and everything gets ruined. And man, they say, man, if I could have just saved that one thing, I'm going to miss that thing. Paul says, all of the things that I lost... No longer following the law, no longer longer following religion, but now following God. All those things that I once was zealous about, that I once was faithful with, even though they're not in my life anymore, I don't miss them at all. I count them as dung. I don't, there's no value to me. And he says, now what I value is completely different, that I could be found in Him. He says at the end of verse 8, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, not about my works, not about my accomplishments, which was of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that which I have been righteous in, not because of me, but because of God, because I followed Him. That is what I value Now, you see, Christ is the object of faith. It should be, He should be our object of faith. And we see an example of it here in these first nine verses. Number two, I want us to see Christ the object of desire. Number one, is Christ the object of faith? Number two, Christ the object of desire. In verse number 10, He says, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. The desire here for Paul is that he can know God more. And the way that I describe or define this idea of knowing Him is experiencing Him. That he is now part of me, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You remember, not long before this letter to Philippians, Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. And Paul says, I want to know or experience the power of God that resurrected him, to know the God that is powerful enough to raise from the dead. That's my desire. It's not about me accomplishing my things. It's not about me being the wisest Bible scholar. It's not about me being the most uh, active Pharisee. It's not about me being the most well-known church member. It's about knowing God more, experiencing Him more. The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Christ suffered when He died followers of Christ have suffered since. And he says, I want to be a part of the fellowship of those who give everything for God. I want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Those that come together now that are, are, are there involved in the things of God. And he says, not only that, I want to experience more. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain under the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I want to experience more than what I've already experienced. I want to know God better than how, than, than how I already know Him. I want to uh, experience that power more. I want to experience that fellowship more. Not resting in what's been done, but pushing forward. What's next? God, what more can you do through me? A lot of times as Christians, if God uses us in a mighty way, we get excited about it, and then we talk about it for the next 20 years. Boy, this one time God did this. Oh, man, that's great. When did that happen? Back when I was in my 20s. Oh, man, that's great. Okay, but what about recently? You know, I I meet a lot in in what I do uh, as a hobby slash job on the side. I meet a lot of old athletes. And uh, the glory days. Man, they love to talk about the glory days. Back in 76 when I did this. Back in the 80s. Oh, man, I remember back in 1992, talking about the glory days. Usually when we're talking about the glory days, it's because we don't have anything to talk about recently. You know, well, yesterday I drove to the supermarket and I beat the car off the the line at the (laughs) stoplight. You know, it's the most competition that most of us have had recently. Uh, I beat that person in the line at the grocery store. uh, um, Whatever. We don't have anything to glory in, so we're not talking about what's going on now. We're talking about what we did back in the good old days. Paul says, I don't want to be talking about that time that I was blinded on my way to Damascus by the light of God. He wants to talk about God saving him, but he doesn't want that to be his last story. He wants to talk about what God is doing now. He wants to experience more in his life than what he's already experienced. You think about Paul's life and and when he was writing this letter to the Philippians, so much God had already done in his life. And he says, not as though I've already attained in verse 12, either were already perfect, meaning complete, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus for the reason why Christ apprehended me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. don't talk about the past, forgetting those things which are behind. Now I'm going forward. I want more. I press toward the mark. That's an active running towards, a, a trying to accomplish, a trying to get there. Pressing toward the mark. He says, I want to know God. He's the object of my desire. I want to experience Him. I want to experience more. But not only that, he says, I want to know others who are doing the same thing that I'm doing. Look in verse number 15. He says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, not not that doesn't mean sinless, right? As many that are striving for completion, for perfection, for uh, uh, fulfillment from God. Be thus minded, and if any in, in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, Let us mind the same thing. Thus minded, same rule, same thing. I want to work with you so that we together can know God better. So that we together can experience the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. I want people who are of the same mind, of the same rule. He says, I don't want to do it by myself. I don't want to go through this this life on my own. I want us to go together. Let's experience God together. I'm telling you, when you truly experience God, it is life-changing, life-altering. It's a wonderful thing, and you can do it more than once, by the way. Um, you, man, you just, there's something that God does in your life. He, he answers a prayer. He, he gives you strength for something. He gives you wisdom for something, and you just know God was there for you. That's wonderful to experience on your own, but when you have a group together, I'm telling you, when we saw God answer our prayers to provide for this place, The way that I felt was far different than I felt in other things that God has answered my prayers for, but He answered our prayers. And we experienced together this wonderful fellowship of seeing God's power at hand. It's a wonderful thing. And Paul said, let's know each other better. There were some that were going off on their own. Verse 17, brethren... Be followers together of me. And, and, and again, it's not a prideful thing for Paul here. He says, And mark them which walk so as ye have, uh, have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. There have been those that were in the church, that were ministering, that they've gotten caught up in pride. And now it's all about themselves. When it says uh, that their pride, uh, excuse me, that their uh, God is their belly, it's their own satisfaction, it's their own fulfillment, and their glory is in their shame, that it's all about them who mind earthly things. They got into the money aspect of it. I was talking with a, a man that I've been able to meet, that he works at a place next to where I work, and we see each other almost every morning. And we've started talking just through the times that were there. And, uh, and we started talking about church one day. He's, he had pastored for a brief time, and, and, uh, and, and he had a thing on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook. And he had this big old long video where he was talking about pastors and, uh, and, and how they're in it for the money and how they, uh, not every pastor, but the pastors in the churches he's been in. And he talks about them hyping people up. And then at the end of the service, after he's got everybody hyped up, take an offering. And, uh, and the reason why they do that is because they got you feeling good, so now you're going to give more money. And so they're not going to beat you down and then take an offering because then you won't give anything. And uh, so he just talked about kind of this, this um, attitude within a certain church, uh, uh, church section. And so we've talked about that a little bit. And the idea was, is these guys, it's about themselves. How can I get money? How can I get attention? How can I get um, uh, other things that, that fulfill my own desires? It's not looking to God. It's not working for God. It's working for self. And Paul, the same thing was happening back then. He said there are those who have left, those who have minded earthly things. Some of the richest people in the world are founders of cults. And it's because they they get people, brainwash them, talk them into things, and it has no purpose other than promoting self. And they mind earthly things. How can I make money? How can I gain power? And so they start a cult and it works and they get rich and everybody thinks they're a god or close to it. And, and next thing you know, they're killing themselves or doing some crazy, crazy things because this one guy told them to. I've seen independent Baptist churches that look awfully a lot like a cult. And it happens when a man minds earthly things happens in our own lives where we become the god of our own lives when we mind earthly things and so he says i want us to come together those that are of the same mind of the same rule uh, of that are thus minded let's come together encourage strengthen each other and go out and know god more experience god more we can help each other So Christ is the object of desire. Number one, Christ is the object of faith. Number two, the object of desire. And then number three, and lastly this morning, Christ is the object of expectation. The object of expectation. Look in verse number 20 and 21. For our conversation, lifestyle, is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The object of our expectation, what is your expectation of God? What is your expectation of life? What is your expectation of when you come to the end of your earthly life near eternity that is ahead? He says here in verse 20, our conversation is in heaven. It's a a heavenly mindset. It's a a working for eternity. It's a doing things in this life, knowing that God will provide and protect and, and care for me here and for eternity. It's a doing things based off of what we know that eternity holds. He says, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. It's all about Christ. It's all about attaining Christ, getting to where Christ wants me to be, seeing Christ work in and through my life. He should be the object of my expectation. We are so vain the way we live our lives here on earth. We waste so much energy, so much time, so much um, affection on things that just aren't going to matter. And if Christ is the object of our expectation, He first has to be the object of our faith, and then He has to be the object of our desire, but then He becomes the object of our expectation. Okay, God, it's not about what I expect for my life. You know, we all plan things. We, We joke about girls growing up as little girls and planning their wedding at an early age and they've got these catalogs, I don't know if we still use catalogs, but catalogs with wedding dresses and all these things in it and you flip through them. I'm old enough to remember those days. I had a sister and, um, you know, and, and putting them in these little boxes and flowers on them and writing Misses and filling in the last name with somebody and then two months later scratching that out and writing a new last name and whatever it may be. The reality is, is all of us, men and women, boys and girls, all think about what our future holds. You ask any kid, usually in that four to seven range, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's usually a policeman or a fireman, something to that effect. Um, nowadays, it's getting a little less ambitious. <laughs> but uh, I want to live in my mom's basement and play video games. Um, the, the expectation that we have, we form early on in life. This is what I want my life to be. We picture a house. Uh, We picture a life with a spouse and kids or a job or whatever it is. And the older we get, the expectation may change to some degree, but we usually still have it planned out. You know, if if I got a million dollars, this is what I would do. I've told you this before, but, you know, there are people who say, I don't know what I'd do with a million dollars. My mom's always said, I know exactly what I would do with a million dollars. And anyone who's not lying probably knows as well. If someone dropped a million dollars in my, in my lap right now, I know exactly what I'd do. We all try to say the right things, right? Well, I would give so much to the church, and I would help the homeless, and I would... No, you wouldn't. Uh, you would buy a house and a car and maybe help some family out and things like that. And, and maybe you... I'm not saying you wouldn't help other people, but the expectation there is if, if everything worked out perfectly in my mind, this is how it would be. Where does God fit into your expectations? Our mindsets are so earthly minded, as it says in verse 19, that oftentimes our expectations are earthly minded as well. Is Christ your expectation? Are you heavenly minded? Are you thinking about more than just the things of this earth? Are you realizing that boy if I just changed one thing in my life I could actually impact people with the gospel. If I adjusted my time priorities just a little bit I could be more godly minded. I desire for our church to have an impact on the community and the one of the the most obvious way that we can do that is just by being in church, being a part of it. My whole life I've met people who complain about church and it's the same people who don't come to church. And what happens is we get in this mindset of, well, I'm owed this. The reality is is we're owed nothing. But what happens is we get earthly minded, even within I'll use the word religion. Even within church, we get earthly-minded. Well, they weren't nice. No one said anything. Oftentimes, if you're mad that no one said anything about something, they didn't know. <laughs> it's not their fault. And we get into this mindset, though, of, of it's about me. We wouldn't say that out loud. If you asked us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that's how we think. But oftentimes it is. We think it's about me. It's about me. It's about me. It has nothing to do with me. And my expectations, even within the church, become about me and and not about God. Earthly-minded, not heavenly-minded. We talked this morning in Sunday school about finding someone to invest in. It's not about me. It's about them. Now, we can make it about us. Well, good night. I know churches who brag about the people they invested in. This year, I discipled 29 people. Okay. Okay. Good for you. As the Bible says, they'll get their reward. They'll get their pat on the back. They'll get their applause, but at the end of the day, it means nothing. What are your expectations? as Christ your expectation? Do you make your plans based off what God wants or off of what you want? If you would have asked me five, ten years ago, what would you do with a million dollars? It would be different than what it would be today. Now, you ask me tomorrow, maybe I'll be on a prideful mindset and it would change again. But, you know, there's so much that needs to be done for the cause of Christ that just with a little bit of commitment, just with a change of expectation, we could do. And I'm praying that God will guide us and and give us wisdom as we go into the new year of things that we can do, that we can invest in, not just financially, but with our energy. But like Paul, I don't want to do it on my own. I want us to do it. I want us to know God more. I want us to experience His power more. I want us to experience the fellowship of his sufferings together. But it's gonna have to become a expectation of Christ in our lives. God, what do you want? God, what do you desire? And then it's a obeying that. <laughs> like we talked about in Sunday school again, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Christ should be the object of our faith. It should not be ourselves. Christ should be the object of our desire as many people have made their own bellies, their desire, fulfilling themselves. And Christ should be our expectation. Are we heavenly minded? I'll be honest with you. I would assume we can all be more heavenly minded than we were this morning when we woke up. I could be wrong. Maybe you are incredibly in line with God. But... I mean, I think we can do better. At the very least, you woke up this morning and you made the decision, I'm going to go to church. That's a good start. But what happens tomorrow when you wake up and there's no church to go to? What will be your expectation? What will be your desire? What will you have faith in? Well, it's a decision you got to make. So Christ is the object of our faith. He's the object of our desire. And He should be the object of our expectation as well. Lord, help us, I do pray. I would assume we would all say that we want to draw closer to You. Sometimes we're not willing to make the necessary adjustments or sacrifices to do so, but I think we would all say that we desire those things. But God, it has to start with us decreasing ourselves, letting go of our own desires, and our own wants, and our own expectations, realizing that it's not about my works, but yours. God, I pray that You would develop us, grow us. You would be the object of our faith, and we'd stop just leaning on our own understandings, but trusting in You. And God, I pray that You would be the object of our desire. We're coming up on a holiday that we celebrate the coming of Christ, but we know it's a very materialistic time of year. And God, would You help us to see in our own lives the areas where our desire has been to satisfy ourselves instead of You. And so, God, would You become the object of our desire. And then, Lord, would you help us to think on heavenly things. That we would press toward the mark. That we would continue forward. God, that you would be our expectation. That we would allow you to set our dreams, our goals. And God, that we will work toward things that will bring heavenly reward. As opposed to working towards things that only bring earthly reward. So, Lord, we pray for an adjustment of our mindset, of our heart. And, Lord, that you would put in our heart a new spirit, a godly spirit, or a a life that is dependent on you. But, Lord, we can only do it through your strength and through your help. So, Lord, help us today to lean on you, I pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. I hear this morning and you'd say, <clears throat> preacher, this morning God spoke to me about an area in my life that maybe it, he hasn't been the object of my faith. Maybe I've been dependent on myself too much. Or he hasn't been the object of my desire, I've been desiring these things that satisfy myself. Or maybe he hasn't been the object of my expectation, I haven't been thinking heavenly minded. And God spoke to me about an area, at least one in my life this morning. And uh, you'd say, preacher, don't, don't uh, point me out or embarrass me, but if you'd please pray with me as I take care of that with God this morning. Would you slip your hand up just so I know to pray for you today? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? God wants to help you this morning. But you've got to make the commitment. You've got to ask the request. God help me. Would you stand with me, please? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The piano is playing. You're welcome to stay at your seat if you'd like. You're welcome to come to the front and kneel. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd be happy to do it this morning. But would you just take care of what God has placed on your heart today that you can be what God wants you to be?